Well, our reading this morning is taken from James chapter 2. It's on page 1012 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. James chapter 2. I'll begin with the 14th verse on page 1012. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Almighty God, creator of of all that is, and merciful Father of those that love and trust in your Son, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, would you enliven our minds and open our hearts so that we might see and know by the power of your Holy Spirit what true and saving faith is, so that we may respond in loving trust to you alone, To the glory of your great and your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Well, an alien man's adjective. An alien man's adjective. Do you know what an alien man's adjective is? It's what you have if you buy fake pearls with the counterfeit money that you got by selling faux leather and artificial flowers. You see, most adjectives give you information about the noun. A big dog, a blue diamond, a beautiful smile. These adjectives, big blue and beautiful, tell you something about the dog, the car, or the smile. But an artificial dog, faux diamonds, a fake smile... These adjectives tell you that dog that you think is a dog isn't really a dog. 
The diamonds you think are diamonds aren't really diamonds. And the smile you think is genuine, a gesture of friendship, is actually insincere. Most adjectives tell you what something is. An alien and adjective tells you what something isn't. Counterfeit money isn't money. Artificial flowers aren't flowers. So too in the passage before us, we have faith and then we have no works faith. Faith is saving faith. But faith apart from works, no works faith, it's not faith at all. It's counterfeit. It's dead. Consider the question that we have before us in James chapter 2, verse 14. James asks, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And James answers this question in verses 15 to 26. And the summary of the answer is no. No, faith without works is not saving faith. It is, verse 17, and again in verse 26, dead. Just as an undone deed is no deed at all. A no works faith is no faith at all. It's dead. Well, to see why we need to understand the precise nature of James's question. If we don't get his question right, we won't get his answer right either. Second, we need to work through the four examples that James gives to answer his question. I count four. They are in verses uh, 15 and 16, a brother or sister in need. Then we have demons believing in verse 19. We have Abraham in verses 21 to 23. And last of all, in verse 25, we have the prostitute Rahab. So after considering our four examples by way of closing, we'll examine the various ways we should respond to the passage before us. But first, let's consider the nature of the question, the nature of James's question. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Notice the question of this passage is about a kind of faith, a certain kind of faith, faith without works. And James is asking, is this particular kind of faith genuine? Is no works faith a saving faith. Notice that it's not a question about who does the work of salvation, nor is it a question about how we get salvation. These are two altogether different questions, and James has already addressed them in chapter 1. About who does the work of salvation, James is clear. God. God the Father brought us forth of His own will, out of a sinful life. And James describes that in chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. And he did it to save our souls, chapter 1, verse 21. James is clear, God does the work of our redemption. So we don't do that work. We don't accomplish our own redemption. Instead, we must receive the word of truth. James, chapter 1, verse 18. We must have faith. James, chapter 2, verse 1 in a person, in our Lord Jesus Christ, whom James calls the Lord of glory. And James's message is Jesus' own. 
Jesus, right at the start of the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. That is, in the good news of the redemption that he is accomplishing. And James's message is Paul's message too. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that Christians are those who hear the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and believe in Jesus. So the question before us in James chapter 2 cannot be about how we get salvation. About this question, Jesus is clear, and Paul is clear, and James is equally clear. Who does the work? God does the work. What must we do? We must repent and believe. So why then does James in chapter 2 verse 14 ask this question? The question of no works faith, of faith without works. Well, I think it's because James is concerned about self-deception in the church. In chapter 1 verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Self-deception is always dangerous. But self-deception about the gospel is more than merely discomforting or embarrassing. Self-deception about the gospel is damning. If you've lied to yourself in your heart about your heart to God... It leads to hell. So self-deception is very dangerous. But it's also, at least it seems clear from James' own concern, very possible. It's a real possibility. So now we can understand, given the context of James, the nature of his question. When he asks, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? James is dealing with someone who says he has faith. James is careful to distinguish between the person's claim, hey, I have faith, and his own judgment about the matter. We do this all the time. She says she studied for the test. He says he knows the way to Little Rock. This four-letter word says allows us to remain non-committal about a claim that another person is making. So James says, let's consider someone who claims to have faith, but not the deeds that accompany such faith. More pointedly, this person doesn't even think that genuine faith requires any outward activity whatsoever. He thinks, verse 14, that someone can have faith without works. And he thinks, verse 18, that someone can have works without faith. You can have one or the other, but you don't need both. Well, what should we think? Can there be an amicable divorce between faith and works? Between your heart and your deeds? James says, no, absolutely not. Your deeds must match your heart. Your faith must show forth in works. Fruitless faith is not saving faith, but dead, useless, and dead again. No works faith is dead, verse 17. It's useless to save 
verse 20. And finally, verse 26, it's dead. And James uses four examples to show that genuine faith always expresses itself in works. Two of his examples show negatively how a no works faith is no faith at all. And two of his examples show positively how saving faith is accompanied by works. Well, let's consider the two negative examples first because they come first in our text. The first example is a calloused reaction to a fellow Christian's suffering. This is in James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Well, what good is that? James's answer is clear. No good at all. It's no good to the brother or sister who's hungry or needs clothing. And it's no help to the calloused person either. Such faith cannot save you. It is, verse 17, dead. Faith must be more than mere well-wishing. That's what the first example shows us. Saving faith is more than mere well-wishing, but it's also, verse 19, more than mere historical knowledge. James writes in chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons, of course, do not have saving faith, and their faith about God makes them shudder. What they know about God makes them afraid for the coming judgment. And such faith, James makes clear in verse 20, is useless. It's not saving faith. Being able to identify the Son of God in the crowd is not saving faith. After all, the demons did that. Knowing a collection of historical facts is not saving faith. Demons know that too. Well, we don't want the faith of unhelpful well-wishers and shuddering demons. We want a better faith than that. So we can turn to the two positive examples that James gives us, Abraham and Rahab, because they show us what genuine faith is like. First, consider Abraham in James chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Notice that James is not talking about what Abraham is doing. But James is characterizing the kind of faith Abraham has. And this faith is, verse 22, an active faith. In contrast to the callous well-wishers of verses 15 to 16 who say, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's also an obedient, trusting faith. In contrast to the demons in verse 19 who believe but who are terrified. Abraham's faith is active and obedient because he's willing, verse 21, 
to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, we know the story. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. God appears to Abraham and tells him to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. And Abraham, commanded by the Lord, rises early in the morning. The text is clear. And takes Isaac to Moriah to sacrifice him. But just as Abraham is about to do so, the angel of the Lord stays Abraham's hand and God provides a ram. And Abraham takes that ram and sacrifices the ram as a burnt offering instead of his own son. And that's the story to which James is alluding. But knowing the chronology of the life of Abraham is very important here. Because if you don't know the chronology of Abraham's life, you will be misled about James's message. The scripture to which James refers in James chapter 2, verse 23, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, is not found in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham's willing obedience to offer his son Isaac is described. It is instead found in Genesis chapter 15. Indeed, when Abraham is declared righteous in Genesis chapter 15, it's some 30 years before his obedience described in Genesis chapter 22. The declaration of righteousness is not in response to Abraham's obedience of Genesis 22, but to his faith of Genesis 15. Indeed, Isaac is not yet even born in Genesis 15. He had no son to sacrifice. But that's why James can say in verse 23 of James chapter 2 that the scripture was fulfilled. The Lord declares Abraham righteous on account of his faith. And then some 30 years later, Abraham shows that God's pronouncement recorded in scripture was entirely correct. God's statement about Abraham was fulfilled. In Genesis 15, the Lord said, here is a man who loves me and is trusting me. And then 30 years later in Genesis 22, we see Abraham's faith in God flow out in faithful obedience. So mere assent, the fruitless faith unaccompanied by works cannot save you. But it's not because you need to put a little extra work on top of your faith in order to get to heaven. No, not at all. But you do have to have the right kind of faith to be received into heaven and to be called a friend of God. And that's why James can say that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone in verse 24. He's thinking of the person who claims to have faith in verse 14 but who has nothing to show for it. Well, faith unaccompanied by works is not saving faith. But faith that gives forth, that flowers out into acts of obedience, like Abraham's faith, showing obedience some 30 years after he's declared righteous, that faith is saving faith. Well, that's Abraham. We have one last example, and that's Rahab in chapter 2, verse 25. If you remember the story of uh, Rahab, it's from Joshua chapter 2. Spies are sent to an an enemy city by Joshua, who has uh, assumed leadership of Israel after the death of Moses. 
And the king of this city, the king of Jericho, understandably annoyed by the presence of spies in his city, has a massive manhunt to find the spies. But Rahab keeps the spies hidden and saves their lives by, James chapter 2, verse 25, receiving the messengers and sending them out by another way. Well, why does she do this? Why does Rahab risk her life in order to protect these men? Is she just a committed humanitarian? Does she, is she an anti-death penalty for spies activist? No. On the contrary, as Joshua chapter 2 makes clear, she hides the spies because she believes in their God. She has faith. In the Lord God Almighty. And in fact, in uh, Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, she tells the spies, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab, a prostitute and a foreigner, nevertheless, has saving faith. But the other people in Jericho, they were like the demons in verse 19 who shudder, who believe, but who shudder. Because in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab tells the spies is that as soon as they heard about Israel's military victories, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted. Well, the demons shudder, and the citizens of Jericho have hearts melting with fear, but Rahab has confident faith. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, she says, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's saving faith. It's confident faith. It's obedient faith. And Rahab's example is wonderful because it tells us that you don't have to be a rich man from a particular race to be counted a friend of God. You can be a foreign woman and God can rescue you If you, James chapter 1, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Or, as Jesus himself says in the gospel of Mark chapter 1, repent and believe in the gospel. One conclusion, how should we respond to what James has said. Well, I guess it depends on on who you are and where you stand and what kind of faith you have. Well, wonderfully, we're not left alone to figure this one out. James gives us a way to evaluate where we are with God. What do we do with the, the, the time and the talent and the treasure that the Lord has given us? For some of us, our time is devoted to television in video games, music, and sports. For some of us, our money, we, we say that, that we really care about helping people, but what we really care about is central heat and air and indoor plumbing. And I'm a man who just replaced a toilet in his house this month. But make no mistake, our hearts, where our treasures are, it reveals our hearts. Our actions reveal our hearts. In 2005, according to two British newspapers, 
Melvin Reed, a British subject, went into an English hospital for heart surgery. And the, the surgery went well. Something extraordinary happened during his recovery. As the Daily Mail puts it, things got unexpectedly crowded around the bedside of the 58-year-old salesman. And while his heart was on the mend, three others were soon broken. For first, one of his wives turned up to comfort him. Then another, then another, all within minutes of each other. Reed had hoped, even in the hospital, to keep his double bigamy a secret by arranging for each of his wives to visit him at different times. But he lamented in a statement to the police, quote, Unfortunately, the timing of the visits were out of sync, and they all arrived at once. Now, Reed said, I imagine I love you to each of these women. And I think that if we knew the circumstances and heard him say that, we'd roll our eyes, shrug our shoulders, and say, yeah, right. We tell him, look, Melvin, you don't love these women. Sure, you say you do, but you don't really. You may have some feeling for them, but what you have, what you call love, that isn't love. Reed's story tells us that love without commitment isn't real love. And James tells us that faith without deeds isn't real faith. No works faith isn't really faith. It's like counterfeit money or faux leather. Well, when we come to die, when you come to die, who'll be crowded around your bedside? Will Jesus have even a place there? To put it another way, and to keep with the hospital language, if someone checked your spiritual pulse, would he or she find a heartbeat? Now, James uses similar medical imagery in James chapter 2, verse 26. He writes, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What would you do if you came across an apparently lifeless body? You check for breathing. Where there's no spirit, that is breath, entering and exiting a person's body, we know that that person is dead. And if your spiritual life is empty but for a few feeble words, perhaps a prayer at Thanksgiving or an amen at Christmas, then you've given a correct assessment of your spiritual condition. Your faith is dead. Your religion is worthless. No Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. But there's still now hope, as James himself says in James chapter 4. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Friends, there is still time, even just this moment, to repent and believe the gospel. Now that's not to say that real Christians 
must live perfect lives. There's only one Christian who ever did that. The Lord Jesus himself. And there's some of us who trust in Jesus and love him dearly, but have stumbled into sin. Take comfort and remind yourself of James chapter 1 verse 18. God of his own will brought you forth by the word of truth. He is working in you. You trust in him. Notice that in this passage, James is not criticizing Christians who are struggling in the Christian faith. He's criticizing those who would say that you can have faith without having any deeds done in love for God. If you have a deep sense of your own sin and wonder how God could ever possibly love you, then remind yourself of what we talked about in the very beginning. God is the one who does the work of salvation, and your job is to receive what he offers. Well, let's pray. Almighty God, lift up our hearts away from the sinful pleasures of this life. To you alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in saving faith, in loving trust, and in a hope that does not disappoint us, for your great name's sake. Amen. Amen.